Crime Curious is a true crime podcast that takes an in-depth look into real cases. The content may be triggering or inappropriate for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Crime Curious. I'm Charnel. And I'm Megan. And there, we did a different introduction. I like it. Well, it's it feels, about time. You don't always have to good. introduce me. I'm not a guest anymore, yeah, right? that's right. Yes. It was like habit there for a minute. It was. I, I like this better. All right. The case that I have for you today, Megan, was actually suggested to us by a listener, Ashley. And the reason that she requested this case is because she shared a first grade classroom with the victim of this case. So, so it is personal to her. Super personal to her. Mm-hmm. To her. Thank you, Ashley. I love doing these type of cases because you feel like you're doing something. Yes, exactly. So this is the case of the abduction and murder of Raquel Knox. She was only seven years old. And I believe that Ashley put in her message that she just, you know, she was young when this happened. She was also seven, eight years old when this happened. So she was just curious to know more of the details about it. So I tried to find as much as I could. There's not a ton. There's not as much as I wanted there to be because I wanted to get her all the information. I do know that Raquel was born February 26, 1988 in Kingston, New York to father Ricky Knox and mother Margaret Marable. Kingston is like a working class city of about 23,000 people just outside of New York City. Okay, I was just going to ask, is it more like a suburb or are we upstate New York? Mm -hmm. So this is closer to NYC. Mm -hmm. From my understanding, yeah. In 1995, which is when this case takes place. Ooh, that's the year I graduated high school. Uh, I was in fifth grade. Oh, yeah. Fuck you. I know. My my reason for saying that is that I wondered if I would have if it would have made any national headlines or news at all. But it just it doesn't sound familiar to me yet. And it might have given some details I'm going to tell you later. Okay. I do think that it that it did. There was there was a lot of it. We get a little bit off a, a tangent from Raquel onto another victim later. And so I do think it did make national news. But in 1995, when this took place, her Raquel's father was an automotive detailer at a local car de- dealership. And her mother was actually working for the family of Woodstock, which was a company uh, that, or excuse me, which was a community services organization. So it kind of sounded like her mom was the social worker type. Oh, cool. Raquel sang in the church choir. At seven? Yes. Oh, that's so cute. She was described as being a little songbird. She was very happy, very smiley. People just really loved her. I mean, she's seven. What's not to love? Oh, my gosh. I know. About a beautiful little seven-year-old Who sings girl. in her church choir. Mm-hmm. And I can see her now, right? Walking around her house singing songs all yes. the time. Singing I have, the gospel. I have one that age. Yes. So, yeah. Yep. At the time of the horrific events that led to her death, she was a second grader at Harry L. Edison Elementary School in Kingston. Raquel's mom was friends with a man named Lawrence Miller, okay? And Lawrence happened to be over at Raquel's home babysitting Raquel the afternoon of September 21st, 1995, which is the day she goes missing. So mom and dad are not married. Correct. I don't know if they ever were. I don't know what the circumstances are. But they don't live together. Not to my understanding. And this man... What is his name again? His name is Lawrence Lawrence. Miller. Mr. Miller, Lawrence, yep. comes over to babysit Raquel. It would be easier if from this point on we just call him Mr. Miller. Mr. Miller. Mm-hmm. Because Mr. Miller had an adult son who was also named Lawrence. Okay. So I will call him Mr. Miller. Yep. So the babysitter that was watching Raquel at her home when she goes missing is Mr. Miller. The adult son... Lawrence, his last name is Whitehurst, and he is our perpetrator. Oh, mm-hmm. throwing it right out there Just at us throw, to begin with. Yeah, I am. Be, for sake of ease of following this story, yes, Lawrence Whitehurst is our perpetrator. He is the adult son of Lawrence Miller, who was babysitting Raquel on the day that she was abducted. And mom's friend, is this a friend with quotes? Or There's, do we not know? We don't know. Yeah, I I don't want to say 
Um, I know there were rumors about things later on that I will get to, but I'm not sure. But the thing is, is that adult Lauren, adult son, Lawrence Whitehurst here, he was 26. He had two children of his own and he had dropped his two children off to Mr. Miller, his father, at Raquel's house so that Mr. Miller, their grandfather, could also watch those two children and they could play with Raquel. He is grandpa babysitter. He is. All right. Yep, but it all happened at Raquel's house. So Raquel was outside in front of her house roller skating when Mr. Miller went inside really quickly for something. I couldn't find the details about, you know, what that was, if he had to go inside and use the bathroom or whatever, but she's just outside. Seven-year-olds play outside. Yes, and they're on a main street Mm -hmm. in Kingston, okay? They're playing, she's playing outside, they're rollerblading, and when he returned just a few minutes later... This is 4.30 p.m. Raquel is nowhere to be found. She had seemingly vanished in plain sight from her own front yard on Main Street in the city of Kingston. That's terrifying. It is. For the babysitter. Yes. Right? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. You walk outside and you're like, oh, shit. First thought, right? Oh, she must have gone around the corner. Let me yell for her. Yep. That little rascal. She went where she wasn't supposed to. Yeah. Let me get her back. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, her disappearance set off an extensive search, both by authorities and community volunteers. Local residents immediately started gathering at Raquel's home and posted missing person flyers. You know, they were praying with her family. They were tying yellow ribbons around the trees and utility poles, that sort of thing. Only two and a half hours after she disappeared, the police first came into contact and interviewed Lawrence Whitehurst because... He was at the home just prior to her disappearance, dropping his own children off. Good job, law enforcement. Yeah, I mean, just following the day's activities, you know, grandpa, essentially, was telling the police exactly what was what his day was like. I'm here. I'm watching Raquel. My grandchildren were dropped off by my son. I came inside and and here we go. So natural progression of an investigation if they it's done correctly, mm-hmm. and they did. They did. They get into contact with him. Now, this was on a Thursday. They're suspicious of him immediately. First of all, they can tell he's done cocaine. Oh. Okay. That was pretty obvious he's to them. <laughs> mm-hmm. okay. A little bit. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Exhibiting signs right. of, the, of the old devil sugar there. And <laughs> I love when you say that. The cocaine, the, cocaine. the devil sugar, nose candy. <laughs> Don't spit your the water nose out. nose candy as, as I'm taking a big sip of water. Yeah. They were also suspicious of him just because it seemed as though, yeah, I mean, it could have been the cocaine, but he didn't seem to really have his stories in place. So, but they didn't have enough information to like get a search warrant or anything like that. So they continue to do their investigation. They interview him again, Friday and Saturday. And both days, each time, you know they're interviewing him several times on purpose. Oh, yeah. And each time they're getting inconsistencies in his story. You know, one interview from one interview to the next, things were changing, like what he was doing prior to dropping his children off, what he did immediately after dropping his children off. He just can't keep himself straight. I couldn't get the nitty gritty of like exactly what those in, in indiscrepancies, shall we call them, like what the actual details were other than he would change his story of where he's he went after he dropped his kids off. Now, initially on Friday when they interviewed him, they thought it might have been because he was trying to protect wherever he went and use some cocaine. Oh, sure. Right. He dropped his kids off to go use. Yeah. Yeah. Which is appropriate. That's the right? only bone that I'll throw this dickhead. Oh, good, good job. So from a social work perspective. Yeah. Strength based. <laughs> um, the thing about Lawrence, this made me really sad when I read this. He is a social worker. No. Yeah, he's unemployed. Probably because Weird. of the cocaine. Weird. <laughs> but he was working as a convenience store clerk at the time to make ends meet. But he had a social work degree. Mm-hmm. Yep, and he was previously employed as a social worker. He did have one previous misdemeanor drug charge, which is probably how he lost his social work his license job. Mm-hmm. And um, like I had said, had they know that he had used cocaine on Thursday, September 21st. But other than that, he had no criminal history, certainly nothing violent against him. And by Saturday, September 23rd, the police did have enough inconsistencies in his interview to be able to get a search warrant. Okay. Because a witness comes forward and is like, hey, 
I saw Raquel getting into Lawrence Whitehurst's vehicle. Oh, shit. She knew who Lawrence Whitehurst was and everything. Yeah, yeah, because Lawrence knows this family. I mean, for whatever reason, his father was babysitting Lawrence and was said to be friends with Raquel's mother. And he knows them well enough to drop off his own children to play with Raquel, presumably. At her own home. Right. Yeah, exactly. So the neighbors know of him too, uh, you know, of of who he is. I'm glad that person came forward. God bless whoever you are. Yes. I never found a name. I I had made the assumption that that meant that this person didn't want to be named because they did have to testify and whatnot too. So I didn't look in the court records to name them. respect. So they obtain a search warrant for his home. He was sharing this home with his brother. I think his brother's name, I have it noted later in the um, notes, but I think it was Sam. His name was Sam Miller, um, his brother. And they were renting a home at 54 Clinton Avenue. Now, initially, they didn't find any signs of Raquel, okay? But with this witness saying that he got, you know, they saw Raquel get into the vehicle, and the inconsistencies of his recollections. And then all of a sudden, during an interview, he suddenly remembered that he did take Raquel for ice cream. Oh, weird. I, f- I forgot all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. When you initially interviewed me on Thursday, I forgot to mention that I was actually the last person to see Raquel alive because I took her for ice cream. Not my own two no, kids. No, I dropped them off at the grandpa. Dropped them off, then took Raquel away from her own home where my dad was watching her for ice cream. Without telling him. Yep. They go ahead and arrest Lawrence Whitehurst. Weird. Mm-hmm. Good job. On September 24th. So this is Sunday the 24th. But there's still no sign of Raquel at this point and no confirmation of whether or not she's dead or alive. What's going on at the time in 19 on September 1st? Now, this is like September 24th. September 1st, 1995, in the state of New York, the death penalty by lethal injection was passed that people can now be eligible sure. for the death penalty. They knew, like, at, we're looking at a capital murder case here where death penalty is going to be an option. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That is what the prosecutor at this point in time is kind of almost using as a bargaining chip, okay? Whitehurst, Lawrence, he went by Larry from what I understand. He was being extremely vague on purpose, leading police to believe that the that Raquel could still be alive. So this is um, a quote from the New York Times. Because Mr. Whitehurst indicated that Raquel could still be alive, Mr. Kavanaugh, that's the prosecutor, agreed late Sunday night to enter into a plea bargain. Oh, shit. The arrangement would have limited Mr. Whitehurst's possible sentence to 10 years to life if Raquel was found alive and 15 to life if she were to be found dead. So Mr. Kavanaugh said that he might have taken the contract, which both both sides did sign, into account if Raquel had been found alive but that he knew all along that if the child was dead, he would not honor it. Really? Mm-hmm. It gets very interesting from a legal perspective. Yeah, the uh, plea bargaining like this is, is very interesting anyway. It, we don't have, so just note though, this isn't something I have a ton of experience with in terms of uh, death penalty cases because we do not have that in the state of yep. Michigan. Right. Because I want to know like in the contract, was it 15 to life? It sounds like with the possibility of parole then. Yes. Yes. There is, I don't, I'm not was. hearing any without nope. in there. Yep. But don't worry. We're going to get we'll there. We'll get there. By 10 o'clock Sunday night, we were not even close to solving the crime, Mr. Kavanaugh said. The agreement is not something that I'm comfortable with, but I would have done a deal with the devil to get that child back safely to her parents. I would be very surprised if under these circumstances, any court would uphold that contract. It is not an enforceable agreement. So he is basically like, yes. I use, we entered into a plea agreement, but I knew if this child was dead, I was not honoring the agreement all along. Absolutely. And it wasn't going to hold up in court either. The next day, her family's worst fears are realized when Lawrence Whitehill did lead the police to Raquel's body in a wooded area along Rockwell Lane off State Route 32 in the town of Ulster. And this is where I'm going to give you a trigger alert. So the body of Raquel Knox was found under a pile of twigs and debris in the woods. Even though cadaver dogs and searches had been done, they hadn't searched these woods. They probably never would have found her if he had not led them to where she was. was. It was just far enough away. Yep. 
Police said that the child had been sexually abused. She had been strangled. And part of her skull had been caved in from blunt force trauma with a rock. All right. Whitehurst had told police that Raquel was alive when he left her. Bullshit. Mm -hmm. An autopsy concluded that she died instantly of a massive blow to the head. So he knew damn well the whole time that he's entering that plea deal that she was not going to be found alive at all. And quite frankly, his statements of his vague statements to lead the police to believe that she could still be alive is then taken into consideration of you made the contract null and void just by that because it is clear and obvious that this child died immediately you from the blunt her. force trauma. And you know that. Lawrence Whitehurst had agreed to take police to Raquel after being promised by the by Michael Cavanaugh, the district attorney, that he would be spared the death penalty. That is the bargaining chip here. However, Kavanaugh reneged on that after the autopsy report came forward. And he made Lawrence Whitehurst the first person in New York to be eligible for execution under the state's reinstated death penalty law. Good job, Mr. Kavanaugh. So now, Kavanaugh is actually now a Supreme Court justice, by the way. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. yep. Okay. But he, you know, at this point in time was the district attorney. So he said that he believed early on that Raquel was still alive and he told his assistant to do whatever was possible to find her. And that included, you know, this deal. But he said the decisions that he made were correct and that he would have made a deal with the devil to return the girl to her parents, Richard Knox and Margaret Mar Maribel at the time. But and there's also some speculation at this point in time that Lawrence Whitehurst killed Raquel as like revenge for her mother ending an affair. Oh. Yeah. So with, that's why I'm with like him? with him. She ended an affair with him, which him being 26 would be closer in, in, in age than his father. His father. So right. that's why I just, I don't know if there was a relationship between Margaret and Mr. Miller at all, or if they were just family friends. Absolutely. You know, and he was just willing to, to babysit. Well, his statement about um, killing her out of uh, anger for this affair, fine, if that's what he says. But where do where does the sexual abuse come in then? Uh, right, exactly. You you had another motive here, and, sir. Yeah, and quite frankly, the district attorney Gavinon never bought into that theory. No, at all. He's like, no, no. He said that uh, this is actually actually a quote from him from the New York Times. The crime defies any kind of logic. It is so beyond the pale. There's just no sense to it. He said, obviously, Lawrence Whitehurst is a sick and disturbed individual, and. While they in at the time, so here they are. We're in two thousand and or excuse me, we're in nineteen ninety five, and they're working on him pleading guilty to first degree murder to avoid the death penalty, because now Kavanaugh has reneged on that entire contract because of the autopsy reports, right? And so while that is happening, there is a separate missing person case of a twenty four year old beautiful woman named Nicole Bell Palmer. She went missing in August, actually August 12th, 1995. So literally just one month prior to Rachel. And the police get a tip that the last person that Nicole was seen with. with Larry? Yep. Was none other than Larry Lawrence Whitehurst. Her yep. name sounds incredibly familiar to me, Charnel. Nicole Bell Palmer. It yeah. sounds real familiar. The day before Thanksgiving... Police go to the Clinton Avenue home to search Lawrence Whitehill's property for a second Whitehurst? time. Whitehurst, yes, not Whitehill. <laughs> Whitehill, Whitehead, Whitehurst, what, White. What yes, you know, let's come, Larry. Well, yeah, Larry, the lunatic here. They go and search his place a second time, and oh, I'm sorry, his brother's name is Sean Miller. I said Sam earlier. Oh, it's Sean. Yep, it's okay, Sean. yep. So he shared that apartment with. His brother, Sean, when they are searching this apartment, they happen to notice that the basement's concrete floor looked, one stretch of it looked slightly discolored. So, Like it was just cleaned? Or possibly just laid. Oh, so, new concrete. New concrete. So they start digging. They bring in all the heavy that they need to. 
and they uncover an arm. No shit. Mm -hmm. And when they do, they stop all excavation at that point in time and call in the FBI to properly exhume whatever it is that they've got here. It was confirmed to be the remains of Miss Bell Palmer. But here's the thing. They did not find, it, it was her body, but there was no head and she was missing nine fingers. What the hell? Yeah. So they found some remains. They did, but not all. So to me, this means she was murdered someplace else. Yeah. And what was left of her, he brought back to dispose of in his, his basement. Or for some reason, he buried her. She was killed there. He buried her in the basement and then did something with her head and fingers. I, I'm, I'm at a loss. They didn't find, to my knowledge, they did not find evidence that she had been murdered there. Okay. Yeah, they just found her partial remains there. Obviously, they have reasonable reasonable basis to conclude that Lawrence Whitehurst was either responsible for or immediately involved in her death. But this is literally all they have is that the information that he was the last person seen with her the day that she was thought to have gone missing and her body is in the basement, but he's not the only resident there. Sean is. Right. Hey, Sean, you're not going to notice if there's new cement been being put in your basement and also there are other residents that live in this it's like an apartment style thing and this was in the basement jesus yeah uh, this uh, is complicated uh, this guy from La- a legal perspective and if it is and if larry did this he's got some balls on him because you're doing this where they're in a communal area in the yeah. basement other people yeah. have access mm-hmm. legally the prosecutor's office could not proceed with prosecuting her like Mrs. Palm Miss Palmer's killer or killers because there was risk that they could receive immunity. So if he had compelled someone to testify before a grand jury in the Palmer case, he said that person would have been given immunity from prosecution under the law. And he was not willing to do that because he didn't want to grant immunity to someone who could have been involved in her killing. I agree. That that's a yep. good that's a good decision. Yeah. You 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 are on a slippery slope when you are granting immunity. Yep. And I've seen it happen before where you believe that you're going to get testimony one way. And this is as a prosecutor. I've seen it as a judge too, but as a prosecutor. And then all of a sudden you get this disclosure and you find out, well, you're the more fucking culpable person right. and you just got to deal this away. Exactly. And yeah. So those have to be very clearly written and and agreed yeah. upon if you're going to follow those. Um, and sometimes ours just include that you testify truthfully and honestly. The ones that I've seen, God, they are. They just testify truthfully and honestly. Yeah. Worst case scenario on these, because I, I, I don't disagree with what um, Justice Kavanaugh did um, here at all. But you do set yourself up for a potential for an appeal. If once yep. you and, and you're probably going to get there, but yep. once you're sentenced, if you get life or you get the death penalty, you're going to appeal and say, no, 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 no. There was a cop agreement or there was a plea agreement that mm-hmm. included a sentencing recommendation and you didn't follow it. So right. I get a new trial. I get to start over. Right. That's right. that's where I feel we could be heading. Well, and it does go there, but it's OK. It ends up OK. But in their minds as well, because they didn't want to grant immunity, they they firmly believe that Lawrence Whitehill is responsible in some way, shape, or form for Miss Palmer's death, right? Trust your gut. But they don't know if he's solely responsible. And so in their minds, they know he's going away for Raquel's murder, right? So they don't want to grant anyone, like maybe Sean, correct, immunity to testify against him when they've already got him. He's already going away for life. They want to keep this as an open case so that they can prosecute the potential other people who may have helped bury her or murder her. There. Had to have been other people. Involved. Yes. He had even said, he's like, listen, this is one of those those criminal situations where we don't have another choice. We're in a catch-22 and we have to just make the decisions that we think are the best at the time. And, and I don't disagree with him, you know, at all, especially because he knows he had already offered a plea deal to... Lawrence Whitehurst for life in prison without the possibility of parole to take the death penalty off the table. One of the factors that came into his decision for that is that Raquel's family wanted to hear the the guilty, you know, plea from Whitehurst himself and they wanted to see him punished for it. So, yes, did the prosecutor probably want the death penalty? 
Absolutely. But the family just wanted him gone off the streets and wanted through this. I appreciate that he took into consideration what the victims wanted here. Yep. yep. I like that. Me too. Um, And not everybody wants their, um, the perpetrator to die. No. I mean, I would. Right. But that's, that's you and I. Correct. You know, not everybody believes in the death penalty that way. Agreed. Agreed. And Mm -hmm. I think that, um, I think that the fact, again, I'm just going to throw a shout out there to this former prosecutor who's now a judge or justice that um, I think he made a fantastic decision there Mm -hmm. uh, with taking what they wanted into consideration. The other thing is that when they made this plea deal of, okay, I'm going to take the death penalty off the table as long as you're pleading guilty, you're not going to get the possibility of parole, right? But the law provides that the death penalty may be sought if a murder defendant intended to kill the victim while committing another felony, yes, like kidnapping or rape. Both. So several weeks after Mr. Whitehurst was indicted, not only on murder, but then also kidnapping charges and charges of raping and sodomizing a child. So the Supreme Court Justice in Albany at the time did uphold Mr. Kavanaugh's decision to go back on his deal with the, you know, the original plea deal. Right. There. Okay, in declaring, he declared it that say, saying that it would have been a perversion if the prosecutor had been penalized when the abductor's bargaining chip is the safe return of the victim. Agreed. And he so clearly knew that that victim could not be safely returned. Just legally entering into a contract under false pretenses, mm-hmm. if you exactly. want to make it civil, can negate the entire contract. Yeah. And that's what he did. It's exactly what he did. Not only that, but the prosecutor at the time that he discussed that and entered into that agreement was unaware that there were two other life offenses that had been committed, at least life offenses here. Kidnapping, yep. Yep. life offense, yep. criminal sexual conduct, first degree, or rape, as mm-hmm. they called it, a life offense. Yep. So, yeah, two two huge felonies. What a great decision. Yeah. Good decision here. Yep. Now, eventually what does happen is, is Mr. Whitehorse's Whitehorse. Now I'm... I, I love it. You have... You have... I, you know what? Does this I'm asshole... I'm really struggling no, with this does, asshole's name. You know, he doesn't deserve to have anybody he remember doesn't. his accurate name. Everybody remember Raquel. Yeah. And Mr. Whitehorse, white hat, white hat, white ass. White, white ass hat. White, yeah. <laughs> Just start putting expletives in. Yes. That's all he is. I don't know why I'm having such a hard time white with dick, name. White dick works. Right. So, you know how you were saying earlier, like, I'm I'm fearful that this is going to go to the Court of Appeals and that this could possibly cause problems because of the way that they entered into the plea and whatnot. Well, as soon as he, he enters that, or as soon as he gets sentenced, they're mm-hmm. sitting in prison, Charnel, and they're sitting there with nothing else to do right. because they have a life sentence, right? Mm-hmm. So they start filing appeals for anything they possibly can, and I'm going to clarify so that I don't get myself in trouble. Some people have valid legal reasons yeah. to appeal. Sure. Yep. Not here. No, but basically what happens is, is the prosecuting attorney is like, you know, I'll, I will, I'll take the death penalty off the table. They figured that, that eventually the, it could possibly be overturned in the court of appeals. As long as he's pleading guilty, we've got life in prison, no possibility of parole. And so that is what the sentence is bestowed upon. Yeah. Do you know what I love about this too, though? They know that he's actively being investigated for something else. Mm-hmm. And their agreement not to put him down for the death penalty on her case doesn't apply to any Mm-mm. future crimes they no. can get him convicted of. Because they're going to do those separately. Yes. Absolutely. And yep. and and they haven't jeopardized that, uh, case that case because they haven't made any deals on it yet. Yep, exactly. And actually, the thing is, is that case is still an open case for the police. No shit. Still. Yep. still. And, and this was in 1995. It was. Yep, it was in 1995. So it is, they believe that they know who contributed to her death, but without any other witnesses or other evidence, Miss Palmer's death is next to impossible to prosecute. So has he made any admissions? No. Mr. Whitehurst no. has made no admissions. Nope. None so whatsoever. He probably lawyered up immediately, said, I'm not answering any questions when they said, so let's talk about the body we found that in your basement. We found in your basement. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Especially not when it's a mid. The fact that he's on trial for, well, it didn't go to trial, but, you know, he has to figure out all these deals for was Sean ever, Was Sean ever interviewed murder. that we know of? I didn't find the information about it, and I think that that's on purpose. Well, if it's an open case, there can be valid reasons that they would not release information exactly. to the public. It wouldn't yes. even necessarily be foyable. No. Um, 
uh, some places do release police reports uh, during an open investigation with a Freedom of Information Act request, but some do not. Mm-hmm. Um, and and just so you know, they can do that. If there's oh, an yeah. active investigation, it, it doesn't have to be turned over for those of you all pissed that you can't get your police yeah. reports when you want them. Well, and quite frankly, I think that my my perspective of an investigator and knowing I've had several investigations be mucked up by information getting out that shouldn't. Yes. And... I am not a podcast where even if I could find that information, knowing this is an, an still an open case that hopefully someday we can get resolution to, I don't even know that I would give that information, Megan, because in my mind, I would then be contributing to possibly messing up I agree. an investigation in the future. I agree. I think the only information that should be given are things that could potentially lead to new leads. And yes. I know that some uh, podcasts and in other type of media outlets, at least the ones that are well done, there have been leads that have come from presenting that information. So this mm-hmm. is this is a very important case to to present to the yeah. public. Yeah. And I just don't I don't think I think they know they've got their freaking suspects, right? They do. And we've we've said their names, things like that. If there is more people out there with more information, then they should go to the police. But like I'll tangent for a second on like the the Delphi murders. Okay. There's been a lot of sideways derailing. Because of how much coverage that case has got, some of it's been very helpful, but some of it has also mucked things up and spent resources focusing on in areas and places that it shouldn't be. And I, that is the last thing that I want to do with our work here. I really struggle when we're still talking about open cases with certain information. I have purposely left out from the podcast information before that I have found that haven't been explored in court yet because... I don't want to contribute to, even if it is in a police report or whatever, contribute to information that might muck things up. You know, for example, guys, if we don't really know who a murderer is and we're releasing intimate details about, say, how a body is found. Okay. Yeah. So then people from that, like you said, don't have anything to do in prison. Okay. But maybe listen to things and learn things and read things on the internet or newspapers or whatever. And then all of a sudden... They make things up and say, oh, you know what? Oh, this was found with the body? Well, guess what? My my inmate right here. Yeah, my if roommate. I can, my roommate told me. I don't me, like because mm-hmm. he smokes all my cigs. So. Yeah. And if I could maybe get my sentence reduced, I'm going to tell you some information, right? Like, you never know how important little small details are until you're actually doing an investigation and that small detail turns into what breaks the case. Right. Like, I just feel like sometimes the public gets a little up in arms when they're like, well, why didn't we know this sooner? That happened with the Delphi murders. Okay, Why wasn't this, you know, this information? It took them a whole year to, if I'm remembering the facts right, to release um, the sound bite where the guy says down the hill. Right. Okay, There is reason why it's not poor police work. There is reason why things have to be kept close to the chest for investigative purposes. And then once they released that, it did convolute all kinds of, of stuff. Course. So many people were like, I know whose voice that is and calling in tips. Sure. And, ugh, I always so. call that there's a there is a method to my madness. Mm-hmm. And and you have to trust at some point that there's a the reason that things are, are disclosed right. in their due time. Yes. Exactly. So anyway, that's my, is my, he still, my thoughts on that. He's still alive. He's serving he his life he's sentence. He's still serving his life sentence. We still do not have any prosecution, any buddy that they have brought to justice for Miss um, Palmer's murder, unfortunately. And they've never, again, trigger warning, trigger alert, but they've never found her head or no. her fingers. No, no. And that, that bothers me. Yep, I agree. I will say, you know, Prosecutor Kavanaugh did say once the family was satisfied that justice would be done, it was not a difficult, you know, call for him for the plea deal and whatnot. He spared them from sitting through a trial, the stress and the pain of that. He did comment, and I wanted to put this in here, that her parents were, quote, a beacon of strength in this community. They always tried to look on the positive side. They have been an inspiration to me and to anyone that they've come into contact with. At his sentencing more than a year later for Raquel's death, Lawrence Whitehurst apologized to the Knox family. He did. Yeah, this is his quote. To the Knox family, I am truly sorry for all the pain that I have caused. Each night, I pray for forgiveness. 
So he made it about himself. Each night I pray for forgiveness. Not I pray for your daughter who I stole from you or Or I pray for you. I pray for forgiveness for myself. So if that tells you anything. It tells me enough. It tells me enough. So Raquel's memory lives on in the people who knew her and in a playground on Gill Street that was dedicated in her name. She has a playground that was built in 2001 near the Riverview uh, Missionary Baptist Church where Raquel sang in the Sunbeam Choir. My heart. I know. That is so sweet. He has, um, whatever the fuck his name is there. Larry. Yeah. Yes, Larry Whitehurst was incarcerated at Clinton Correctional Facility since January 22nd, 1997. He did file an appeal in 2002. He did lose that appeal. Bummer. Yep. He has received sex offender counseling and aggression replacement training. So they have to do that. They do. And he went through it. Do they give any murderer training? (laughs) How to not be murdery. Right. Yeah. No. Because I don't think anything about that in the cognitive behavior therapies that I'm aware of regarding assaults, aggressive behavior, even DV stuff. I don't think they have a lot of uh, literature there for them on how not to be murdery. Nope. Nope. Sure don't. She said the one of the her name's Linda Fogla was a Department of Correction Services spokesperson Mm -hmm. when this article reached out to ask about him, and I guess he had had um, he's had some disciplinary problems okay he had some (laughs) violations for um having unauthorized property you know well he did like the nose candy and so they sometimes sometimes i know you're all going to be shocked find a way to get these things when they're in prison they do weird that is new information to me well people have pocket purses yes and a pocket purse (laughs) it's a cavity upon your body or within your body where one might Place something to be used later. Right. Or to be shared with people. Later. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, because don't you ever look at your friend and say, by any chance, do you have any cocaine up your asshole? Because I'm interested in that. Didn't I ask you that before we started recording? What'd you bring me in your vagina today, Megan? Well, (laughs) my pocket purse is empty today, Charnel. So I'm sorry. I like it. It's like a little kangaroo pouch, you know? (laughs) I know. It's the kangaroo sack. This very soft. (laughs) Yep. Exactly. Perfect for putting things into. Like six little dicks. Like six little dicks. We've derailed. Oh, I apologize. Shit. It is pouring out all of a sudden. It too. really is. If you guys hear that, you know it's raining, but it's the nice. ambiance of the, the nice quiet rain. It was, is that the end of our our case, or do you have more tidbits for me? Well, let's see. I I was going to let you know that they are letting Larry work as a teacher's aide in the morning and afternoons for inmates who um, are trying to get their GED. So isn't he just an upstanding citizen? Well, you know what? Good for them because he at least, we know he's probably a minimum bachelor's degree. He was a social worker. Right. So use him. Yep. Maybe he can actually do something helpful with his life while he's in there. Let's hope. Thank you very much, Ashley, for bringing Raquel's case to our attention so that I could cover it and she can be remembered and let the world know. Huge thank you, Ashley. Who she was. There was a ton of great information that came as a result as well. So. Yeah. And, and we found out about a side. Did they, was Ashley even aware that there was another murder that was connected to I'm this? I'm not sure. So, I don't know. Maybe yeah. she learned something too. I yeah. hope so. So I, I know it was big news in Kingston at the time. So. Yeah, and I would be surprised if I hadn't heard of it. But again, 1995, when I graduated, was a long time ago. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Other than a, a name sounding familiar. And like for Ashley, I mean, she was seven and eight years old. Correct. So when all this was going down. So she, she just remembers remember her that. classmate mm-hmm. passing. Yep, so exactly. Sharna, would you like me to bathe you today? I would love, I've got my rubber ducky and my, what are those things? Shower cap. A shower cap. I'm ready. Okay, hold the sack okay. too. Yeah. So I would love to. Right on point, and it just worked out just fantastically that this was about a, a court case and, and had a lot of technical things in it. I want to bring to you a USA Today article called Law and Disorder. So it can be found <laughs> on usatoday.com if you just look up uh, Law and Order. And I'm going to start here with <clears throat> Woman Sues for False Weather Prediction. This occurred in 1996, and the result was that it was settled out of court. Uh- a woman from the Israeli city of Hefa sued well-known television weatherman Danny Rupp for a false weather forecast. Rupp had predicted sunny weather and it rained. Based on the forecast, she left her house unprepared for inclement weather, took ill, and missed work, she claimed. Oh my God. The woman said Rupp's forecasts were legally binding. She won $1,000 in an out-of-court settlement and got an apology from the weatherman. Oh my shit. <laughs> 
Do you know how much the weather people owe us? Then? So if this this sets a dangerous precedent. Well, this is is in Israel. Yeah. So I don't feel like that happens here. You know, it so just how much does me, it rain in Israel? I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to check the weather. But have you ever looked up like you can't famous- check the weather? It's not going to be accurate anyway. Right. Correct. Oh my god, you're so funny. It's so true. Funny things that have been said by weather reporters. One of the most famous ones is actually from Michigan, and I believe that weather reporter is from Flint. And this is from about 15 or so years ago, if not more. But she famously turned to the weather forecaster. The reporter did and said, hey, John, where's that eight inches you promised me last night? <laughs> Legit. It's real. You can look it up. It's one of the funnier things that you can find on the internet. So... Just so you know, I don't believe there was a legally binding contract oh there. Oh my god! And I don't think that you would actually have a, a chance at winning that here. No, not here. Most how about, definitely. How about man claims Uber ruined his marriage? Oh, occurred in 2017. Okay. Result unknown. A French businessman sued Uber for 48 million dollars, claiming that a flaw in the ride-sharing company's app played a role in the dissolution of his marriage. The businessman said he borrowed his wife's cell phone and used it to log on to the Uber app. He claimed a glitch in the app caused it to continue to send notifications of his whereabouts to his wife's phone even after he logged off. And apparently some of his movements caused a problem with the wife and their marriage ended in divorce. The result of the suit is unknown. Oh, oh, you just got fucking busted. Is Seriously, what I don't like that your app let my wife know I was visiting my girlfriend. You got repeatedly. it. Repeatedly. You got it. Oh, my Lord. You got to be careful, gentlemen. You got to be careful. <sighs> How about you just not be douche canoes that cheat on your significant other? That like, goes for asking, women, too. That's just ask, don't. It's asking a lot, Sharna. God, we're so unreasonable. There's so many of these. I'm skipping to find a good one. How about this? Give them to us all. This one you will love. Husband sues wife over ugly baby. No! (laughs) Year 2012. Result? Plaintiff won. What? Oh, you're going to love it. Boy meets pretty girl. Boy marries pretty girl. They have kids. One similar tale did not have such a happy ending, however. Zhang Feng from China saw his newborn daughter, who he said was incredibly ugly and did not look like either parent. He accused his wife of cheating on him. At that point, she admitted she had had several plastic surgeries before they had met. (laughs) He sued. This baby looks like her natural DNA. Yes. He sued on the grounds of false pretenses, claiming she misled him by hiding her cosmetic history. He won the case, and his wife was made to pay him more than $120,000. Holy shit. Only, only in China can that happen. That's right. Are you kidding me? Nope, not kidding you. I can you imagine you know, suing people for their ugly babies? And and plastic surgery runs rampant. Oh yeah. So yes. yeah, you can't trust anything you see, people. No, it's all fake. No, and if you actually care about how your children look that much, you might want to ask for. You need to see some medical records ahead of time. If your spouse won't show you pictures from their teen years, <laughs> then you should be questioning. You should be questioning this. It is a, a red, red flag. flag. It is. Oh my lord, I do love that one. Oh yeah, I it's never good. asked if. Uh, my significant other had had any plastic surgery prior to procreating. So this is a lesson learned. Sure, Who cares? No, but if that's important that to you. That is crazy. Again, I would also like to know that was a Chinese case. I don't believe no, you would have that happening, happening here. here. I'm fairly certain. You now, should just expect in America, everyone is filled Botox and or plastic. Correct. But here's what you can expect in America. Kidnapper sues hostages for escaping. Jesus Christ. What? Yep. 2012 was the year. Result, lawsuit dismissed. Oh, good. Jesse Dimmick, a fugitive facing... Dim Dimwit. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll fix Dimmick to Dimwit. A fugitive facing a murder charge kidnapped <gasps> a Kansas couple in September of 2009. At some point, he fell asleep and they escaped. <laughs> <laughs> I was taking a drink, damn it. Oh my god. They sued Dimmick for over $75,000 in damage. The victims did. His response was to counter sue for breach of contract. 
Uh, Dim Dick, they did not sign a contract. He claimed he and the couple had a legally binding oral agreement for them <laughs> to hide him from the police. Uh, His case was dismissed. Oh, uh, thank God. Well, first of all, let me state, let me give you a legal, some legal knowledge here. I think I know what you're going to say. Well, you can't enter into a contract under fucking duress. Right. So nope, sure can't. Knew sorry, that's where you were going. sorry, sweetheart. Your counterclaim, not no. legit. Footlong sandwich is not a footlong. <gasps> I've yeah. seen this one. Okay, 2016. I, yeah, and I want to hear settled. it again. Okay. It did settle? It settled. See, I don't know if I knew that part. In, it started in 2013 when a teenager measured his Subway footlong sandwich. Leave it to a fucking teenager. You know what he was measuring just prior. It turned out only to be 11 <laughs> inches. An inch too short. <laughs> Fast forward. So we know the bread was baked by men. Right, right. Exactly. <laughs> I oh, promise this, this is I'm a, sure this is 12, 12 inches. <laughs> I'm confident. Fast forward three years and the company was settling a class action lawsuit in court, court promising to make its rolls 12 inches. The only people to benefit from the lawsuit, by the way, were the attorneys who were about to receive $520,000 in fees. This is why you became an attorney. Well, I get it it's now. not why I did, but it's Shit. why some do. The Shit. judge agreed with activist and legal writer Theodore Frank that this was not fair and dismissed the settlement and the entire case. But they still got paid. Well, I don't know that they were going to get paid. He dismissed the settlement oh. and the entire case because of the $520,000. It was basically all going to be in legal fees. Nobody yeah. was going to win. No. It wasn't a winner. Yeah. We are arguing over an inch of carbs. Yes. Yes, we are. Why? I don't don't know. That inch is very important. (laughs) Arguably not with with carbs. Not with carbs. Yeah, I would would disagree with that. I, I love this one. One can imagine the life of a judge could become boring. Listening to defendant after defendant and lawyer after lawyer as each side tries to argue their case. I feel you. I was going to say, tell us. Okay. Is that what it's Thankfully, like some judges like to use their judgments as a way of livening proceedings. Watch if, Megan on YouTube. <laughs> right. If only for those paying attention. Take the case of Grill versus San Antonio. In it, the state of San Antonio was trying to prevent exotic dancers from wearing anything less than a bikini top. Oh. When a club attempted to secure an injunction to prevent the cities from enforcing this rule, the verdict was a heaven of double entendre. <laughs> Sadly, the plaintiffs were unsuccessful, but highlights of the judgment include, this is the judge having fun, guys. Should the party sh- choose to string this case out to trial on the merits... <laughs> The court encourages reasonable discovery intercourse as they navigate the peaks and valleys of litigation, (laughs) perhaps to reach a happy ending. No! And... Oh, shit. An ordinance dealing with semi-nude dancers has once again fallen on the court's lap. (laughs) Grill versus San Antonio. This is a holding. Once again. It's a holding. I love it. Falling on the court's lap. Now, my last one is one that uh, is near and dear to me. So it's sparkling wit speaking of funny judges. So Judge Rosemary, I'm sorry, speaking of funny judges, Judge Rosemary Aquilina had us in tears when she told us about an exotic dancer who having pleaded guilty on a drug charge was sentenced to wearing an ankle monitor, a tether. Just a few days after sentencing, however, the woman was back in the courtroom seeking an exception because the ankle monitor was kind of ruining her vibe at the strip club. (laughs) In response, Judge Aquilina offered a veritable Solomesque solution. Bedazzle that thing to match your outfit. Motion denied. (laughs) Now... Some of you may recognize the name Rosemary Aquilina. So let me just tell you about Judge Aquilina. She was previously a district court judge here in the state of Michigan um, and then became a chief judge in the 55th district. Mm -hmm. She is the judge who most famously sentenced Larry Nassar in the gymnastic sex abuse scandals. And there was a number of things that occurred as a result of that. Judge Aquilina did a fantastic job, but there were uh, appeals, an appeal made because of some of the remarks that she made during the uh, Larry Nasser trial. Some people described it as wholly inappropriate. In fact, 
perhaps there were some uh, court of appeals judges who believed that as well. But none of her commentary actually was found to be a, a direct issue when it came time to the sentencing. But I just wanted to tell you that the appeals court found, and this is a quote, some of her remarks, wholly inappropriate and challenge challenges basic notions of judicial neutrality and due process. However, in a two-to-one decision, the court did not find a new trial was warranted, Mm -hmm. and a dissenting judge said that it was not the role of judges to quote-unquote act as advocate. She's been honored for multiple uh, awards as well and is also a published author. Um, So I'm not going to give my personal opinions on that, but I will tell you that I, I I have... had the pleasure of meeting her before mm-hmm. and what she said there with the ankle monitor that is absolutely something I could hear her saying so she would say. judges like to have fun to you guys yeah. we, we make our comments uh, every once in a while and whether you like them or not we're humans and we have opinions so right, right. here's your brain bath exactly. I hope you loved it I loved it thank you oh I do feel bathed Good. I I'm really so do. glad. Yes. I didn't even have to get the sponges out. Nope. The, Just next the rubber time. ducky. Next okay. time. All right. We'll get we'll get a little deeper with the sponges. Okay, if you guys would like more of us, feel free to go over to Crime Curious. No, go to patreon.com forward slash crime curious for to join our Patreon. Support the podcast. It you know, the money goes back into research purposes. Our equipment, our um, platform that we release on all costs money. So does the books that we read and all of that stuff. So And making sure everyone has microphones so that you can hear us correctly. Right, exactly. So we appreciate all of our Patreons. Also, if you want to send a case suggestion, you could go to our website, crimecuriouspodcast.com. There's pictures of us there as well. Still have to get one of Megan up there. Working on it. And... um. You can listen from that platform as well, but you could also send case suggestions to crimecurious at yahoo.com. Yes, I'm old school with a Yahoo web um, email, whatever. And what else? What am I missing? Oh, follow us on social media. Yeah. We post funny shit there. And photos from the cases and stuff. We do. We're and on you, all the yeah, platforms. We have some photos from the last couple that are going to go mm-hmm. up. So yep, enjoy. We do. Um, all right. Well, until next time, everyone, keep it curious. Have a fabulous day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.